show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. Come inside. Right now. You are listening to Let's Talk Hemp and the 422. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Let's Talk Hemp in the 422, Season 3, Episode 3. I am your co-host, Morris Beagle, here with my partner in hemp spirit, Rick Trojan, who just sat on a heater. How you doing tonight, Rick? Good. We're three for Season 3, Episode 3, and I think I might have third-degree burns on my back. So I think it's, you know, we're all about the threes tonight. Your back or your butt? Yes. My back or your butt? My back. <laughs> Either way, it's burns that are burnful. I'm in the mountains, just so we're clear, I'm in the mountains right now in Steamboat, in my cabin where you've been. And uh, the side heaters, it's 20, it's like minus 23 degrees outside and it's, the side heaters are applicable, but not on contact. They're very effective on contact. Well, I'm still sitting in my basement, in my little studio, isolated, quarantined, same thing as the last couple episodes we've been recording. Corona free. We're both Corona free. But here's what's, here's what's incredible, actually. We got... Dan Hare and Bruce coming in talking about The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which was last done in 2010, so 10 years ago. Essentially, what they call the Bible of hemp is now being redone in 2020 by Bruce and Dan, Jack's son and, and the guy with the cannabis car, which we'll talk to in a minute. But they are getting after everything hemp, new citations, new updated information, new policies. I mean, the first book... The Emperor Wears No Clothes actually was first started in 1973, if you can believe that. What were you doing in 1973, Mel? Well, I was six years old, and I was turned on to Black Sabbath by that time. I remember my first Black Sabbath experience. You brought me back to the early 70s. Jesus, dude. But I was in my grandma's attic in Oklahoma listening to the vinyl version of Paranoid with my brothers, Brad and Dave, in my grandma's attic. That's what I remember. But here's what's cool about your grandma. She had an LP and an, a disc and an old school record of that. That's pretty badass grandma. Well, it was our cousins had a record player at our grandma's house, I believe. And it was in the attic and grandma wouldn't let us listen to that heavy metal stuff. So we had to go to the attic to listen to Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. <laughs> That's amazing. Meanwhile, 30 years, 40 years later, we're at Birmingham going to Black Sabbath Bridge with their name and, and pictures and all over it. The whole Black Sabbath exhibit at the museum when we were in Birmingham. That's one of the greatest moments of my entire life. It was good. I was, I was, we've traveled the world together all over, and I've rarely seen you as excited as when we were going to Birmingham the first time when we went and the bridge wasn't created yet, right? Or I guess the bridge ordained was not yet. on the bridge. Yes. <laughs> so we went to the bridge, but there was nothing there. The second time we went to the bridge, everyone was there. We sat there, you took pictures. It was great. The Sabbath continues. The Sabbath continues. Well, here we are, isolated, recording another episode. And we do have Dan and Bruce coming on. And like you said, I think Jack started this trip back in 1973 and then published the first edition of The Emperor in 1985. 35 years later, we're at, I think, the 14th edition from a printed standpoint and the very first e-edition. And really looking forward to talking to Dan and Bruce about 
what's going on with the E edition and everything else that's going on with those guys, Bruce and his cannabis car and making the consumer model and so forth. And I think what's cool is the original book, right? The original Emperor Wears No Clothes was backed by the HEMP in the U.S., Hump Haas, which is Hemp House in Germany, Sensi Siege and the Hash Marijuana Hemp Museum, which was in Amsterdam at the time, but now it's also in Barcelona. You and I went to that, actually, which we can talk about in a bit. And the THC, the Texas Hemp Campaign, when they still offer $100,000 to anyone that can disprove claims made in the book. And to this date, since 19, what was first published in, what, 1985? Yep. So the last 25 years, 30 years, 35 years, there's been, as far as I know, no one has taken them up. No one has gotten that $100,000 offer. And what's funny is there's a couple of shit talkers out there who put down Jack and called it conspiratorial and stuff, but yet their own explanations have not disproved what Jack originally put out there. To those guys... Pony up, step up to the plate and see if you can disprove what's in the book. Yeah, again, for the last 35, 40 years, again, this is a lot of people regard as the Bible of hemp um, and Jack Hare as the grandfather or the father of the hemp movement, the cannabis movement in general. He was all about cannabis. Entirely. He didn't differentiate between one of the two. It's all cannabis. It's all legal. It's all safe. You can't overdose. You can't die. His message was solid then. It resounds more now. Now that we have legality around cannabis in a certain limited regard people are realizing the benefits of cannabis, right? From cannabinoids, from CBD, CBN, CBG, to the rest of the plant from a food standpoint, from a fiber standpoint. Um, there's, we as Americans and us as a, as a culture are starting to realize the benefits of this plant, finally, right? 80 years after it's prohibitive. Everything in good time, I guess. I guess so, right? Better late than never, right? Right. One thing that we need to mention is this episode is actually going to be our Earth Day episode. This will broadcast on the 422, and it will broadcast about the same time as we launch our virtual Earth Week conference and trade show, where we'll be hosting four or five hours worth of live webinar content, as well as having a library of pre-recorded content, as well as a virtual trade show and a virtual networking room and the launch of our new platform in the cloud, which will continue on throughout the rest of this year and going into next year. And I can say this, virtually speaking and real speaking, it's going to be super exciting. I'm very excited about the whole, the whole process. The whole transition from real live to digital is what's needed for COVID right now for dealing with the issue. But moving forward, we'll have NOCO live again in person in August. But until then, we're going to have this virtual conference, which is going to be fantastic. And a good way to keep the connection going, keep the education at the forefront of our conversation and keep things moving forward. That's what we're going to do. Well, why don't we get moving on and let's get Dan and Bruce up and have a conversation about the new edition of The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Sounds good. Welcome back to Let's Talk Hemp in the 422, Season 3, Episode 3, with two special guests, Mr. Dan Hare from Hare Hemp and the Jack Hare Foundation, and Bruce Dietzen, founder and president of Renew Sports Cars, producer of the Cannabis Car, a sports car made out of hemp fiber composite materials. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Great to be here. How are you guys doing today? Surviving the new changes in life. It's uh, all good. Doing great here down in uh, Florida. 
Well, that's good to hear, guys. So we are here today to talk about a brand new edition of The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And for those of you that do not know, Dan Hare is the son of Jack Hare, the author of The Emperor Wears No Clothes that originally came out in 1985. 35 years later, we're on the 14th printed edition and the very first e-edition. And both Dan and Bruce had a hand in revising this edition a little bit, and that's what we're going to discuss today. So we'll start off with Dan. So this being the 14th edition of The Emperor Wears No Clothes, what is actually revised in this edition from the previous edition? The, the book itself is, is largely unchanged in the printed version. And that's because the information that needs to go in the printed version that we would like needs to be vetted at such a level that we really felt that we would hold off on, on that specifically, but put out the electronic ebook edition gives us more interaction with, with this format. And what it does is it gives us an opportunity to bring all the information that we've been studying and looking at and give people a chance to not only read about history, but as you're going through each of the different chapters of the book as it was written, there are hyperlinks that not only connect to what was being talked about, you know, 35 years ago when my father first wrote the book, when we had ideas that we could do all of these things with hemp and cannabis through theory and now be able to take them through the use of these hyperlinks and take them into the future. So we're able to take them into the manufacturing of Bruce's car, the introduction of new medicinal uses and understandings through these hyperlinks and studies and testimonials, and really being able to expand the story that was once believed to be the possibility with hemp and cannabis and now show that it actually is. So those possibilities are not only possible, but they are absolutely necessary to the future of not just this country, but to mankind. And, and if I might add, too, uh, to what Dan just said, is that uh, since his father passed 10 years ago this, this Wednesday, Dan and I kind of brainstormed on this, and we saw the opportunity to uh, continue in his, his footsteps, if you will, by doing what he would probably have been doing if he were still with us today, and that was to continually update the world on the education about cannabis hemp by putting in new stories. But we decided together not to confuse his original work with any new news. So if you get the ebook version, you'll see in black print all of his original work and his original words, but everything that's been added as an update to keep to make this a continuous living Bible of hemp cannabis, that's all in blue ink and of course with blue hyperlinks. So the objective here is to is to is to make a living document. And we we're even inviting readers of the book, if they have some really great new news stories, et cetera, they want to have added to the book, they can submit those to us and we'll vet those stories and make sure that they're they're real and add them to upcoming editions of the ebook. I did notice that when I was looking through the ebook and the foreword that you had put together there. What is the email for people to submit those new stories to be included in there? That that is emperorupdates at gmail.com. And so Dan and I will be looking at that as we uh, figure out uh, when the next edition is worthy to be published, et cetera. And we can do that on an ongoing basis. So so that's that's where people can can go to. They can send in their 
their stories to emperorupdates at gmail.com. We'll include that link on our description of the podcast as well. But I'm great. there's been yeah. a lot happening since I mean, the last revision was 10 years ago, right? So there's been a lot that's happened since, well, 2010. So a couple of lawsuits, HIA versus DEA, HIA versus the government. We've now made hemp legal on a pilot program. We've made hemp legal federally. 48 states now have uh, pilot programs. Lots of Native American nations have pilot programs in, uh, approved by the USDA. Tell us what are some of the biggest revisions that's happened since the book was released 10 years ago? What's new in this edition with all that's new and all that's happening? What can uh, the audience look for for the excitement of the new stuff in this book? Dan, should I answer that? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and start? I, I would say, you know, the first few chapters are really very historical from Jack's incredible work. And so history hasn't changed. It's what's happened since then that has been advancing. So probably the one chapter that has the most, there, there are updates throughout the book, but the one that has probably the most new content is chapter seven, which speaks to medical cannabis. And so there's, uh, I believe, over 100 links to testimonials from people who owe their lives to cannabis. But there are links throughout the book that we've attempted to try to put in there to many different stories. And it's not just stories, but it's videos as well. It's just chocked full of them. Showing the medical value of cannabis, right? It's a Schedule One drug according to our government. No medical value, highly addictive neither of which are true as we're showing, but having you guys show those experiences firsthand, I think is very powerful. Well, what's, what's interesting here is that uh, the government still does not allow medical cannabis companies to make any claims. Uh, the alternative in today's day and age is rather than uh, companies trying to advertise that medical cannabis can address something as obvious as epilepsy, right? Which they still can't do. It's just a wonderful thing to have the real people in the world actually having made recordings of how this this wonderful plant has helped them. Now, that, by the way, Dan and I did not create those recordings. Those are owed to the hard work of Corey Yellen. But we basically scoured the web and tried to find the best stories to add to the book and make and to enrich the latest news. Yeah, I see throughout the credits and stuff, you guys have credited just so many people who've contributed to this over the last 30 years. It's amazing how many people have contributed to the body of this work. You know, it, many people think that my father did this alone, but anybody who's in business, anybody who's been successful at anything knows that it's more than just an individual. It really is a team, or in this case, a community. And, and this would be the cannabis community on, on virtually every level whether it is scientific, whether it is industrial, whether it's in uh, general farming, whether it, it's medicinal, whether it's just, just the, the creation of this new dynamic in commercialized cannabis. There's so many people that have influenced my father's life, my life, Bruce's life. That's a story that, that continuously replicates itself throughout all of our interactions from when I met you and Rick to the great things that you guys do on a daily, weekly, and yearly basis to really stand with, stand up, and stand behind the cannabis and hemp communities in order to give people a platform to share and show their ideas and give them an opportunity to be also successful entrepreneurs and developers of 
potential new technologies and processes and products that will or are becoming a part of our lives. And, you know, there's nothing that my father did that is not unlike what is happening today. And that is looking to the community to educate ourselves and to expand the opportunities that we have as, as a global community now. When my father first started this in the 70s, he had no understanding that cannabis and hemp would become what it is. He just knew that it could. And the only way that it could is through truth and facts and the exposing of lies and falsehoods and narratives that have created a vernacular and an understanding over the last 80 years that has really propelled the war on drugs and the misunderstanding of cannabis to levels that we, at one time we thought we could never overcome. The truth is funny in, in a sense that you know, you can hide it, you can keep it in darkness, you can sequester it, but at some point the truth comes out. And in 1985, when my father first produced this book, and with the help of many, many people who influenced him, uh, he believed that the truth was out for the first time. With that truth would come freedom. And he felt that within the first year after this book was released, that, that the truth would be so glaring and so strong that these laws would have to fall, that people would have to be reunited with their opportunity of life and freedom that had been snatched away from them because of lies and the determination to keep this plant from becoming what it is supposed to be. And that is something that supports the entire human race. That first year was a real awakening when laws didn't fall, when people stood up even harder against cannabis and hemp and its understanding, and that the lies about it, people just doubled down on them. And here we are 35 years later, and although there are some glimmers of hope with people embracing the truth, unfortunately, it's still falling short on really having an understanding of what cannabis and hemp is and how important it is, because all of our access that we have to hemp and cannabis, for the most part, still even today, even after this truth has been exposed over the last 35 years, that the governance, that the, the boundaries, the foundations for legal access to cannabis and hemp are still framed in the lies and deceptions of prohibition. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Dan, with a couple of things that your dad said. And essentially, it's a much different landscape now, right, than 1985 when your dad was first talking about cannabis in general. But now that we have THC, high THC cannabis legal, which is what we're calling marijuana, right? And then we have hemp legal federally. How do you, how do we bring the two sides together? There's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of high THC versus low THC, hemp versus marijuana, especially with CBD producers and pollination and all those sorts of things. It's one plant. It serves one purpose. How do we bring everyone together under one banner? <laughs> this is a really difficult, I wouldn't say it's a difficult question, but it's a difficult answer. But it, it's one that should be fairly simple. This is the same plant, hemp, cannabis, same plant. The, the difference and in, in the ideology behind the acceptance of one and, and still the continued demonization of the other is this arbitrary THC level in a product that gives a declaration of what one is and what one isn't. As we try to deal with the understanding of those who are less educated, not from ignorance, but just from the absence of truth and actual real information in their lives, is that their understanding is that, oh, THC is bad 
And if this plant has no THC, then it can have some useful prospects, whether it's industrial hemp for building homes or whether it is CBD, which is non-euphoric. This narrative that we've created in order to get people who wouldn't normally stand behind the legalization or the access to this plant because they've taken the fear away by saying, oh, there's no THC and CBD is non-euphoric, that people are jumping on and saying, oh, well, this is good cannabis and that other stuff, we don't really know enough about that yet. So we're still going to treat it as we did in 1937 or 1945 or 1961 or 1971 or 1980 or 1984, and we'll still drive this wedge between the two understandings that this plant is somehow different than the one that we're holding up and saying, look at these homes that we're building with this hemp. Look at these tinctures that we're giving to children and folks with epilepsy. See, this is actually helpful. And then we turn to cannabis and we still say, oh, you know, you have to be 21. You have to keep this you know, 500 feet away or a thousand feet away from schools or churches or children in general, you know, whether it's libraries, whether it's parks. And it's just another layer of prohibition that really continues to separate and to create a divide which shouldn't even be there to begin with. We still know that after tens of thousands of years of cannabis being in use around the globe for every purpose known to mankind, it has still not killed a single individual for, from its direct use. The opportunities to create products that enhance our lives as a community, as a culture, in the global commodity side of this, abilities to lift communities up, both from an economical, an ecological, and a spiritual level, continues to be the ideas that separate the understanding between hemp and cannabis. And it's something that needs to be addressed. And the only way to do that is through continued education, through continued reading about things that are built on real truth with real facts, with real documentation showing what these are. And 35 years later, this book is still that go-to document. This is still the place where you're going to find the truth. And, and not only was it just as true 35 years ago when it was written, that now 35 years later with the new edition of the ebook, we're able to take people, not just reading about history, but take them from that, from those ideas of what could be possible to the things that actually are possible today. And I think that's an incredibly strong message to start once again, teaching a new generation that has grown up with some level of access to cannabis to now hopefully a new understanding of it and new advocates and new activists on its behalf. And I think that this book, it could be that driving force once again. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. So we're sitting here, it's 2020. We're under lockdown and in quarantine. The earth seems to be breathing a bit better while humans are taking a time out. What can people take away from the book and what Jack said? Hemp will be the future of all mankind or there won't be a future. Can you elaborate on that? Well, you know, my father can... seemed to be way ahead of his, his time. And I can tell you that 35 years ago when he was screaming this out at the top of his lungs at uh, different events around this country, many folks were drawn to it. And many folks repelled by it because he was so steadfast in his belief. He was so point with his own personal message that it, that it scared people. It made people more defensive in, on some levels. And that's because they were unsure with their own 
with their own understanding of cannabis. And, you know, for many years, people pushed back, including this cannabis community, thought my father's views were, were too radical. But now, you know, we see, we see the truth through the development of new products that we know won't hurt our ozone layers, the products that will not poison our rivers, that, that this plant is not only something that's important from a growing you know, perspective to create commerce, but it also is a rejuvenating entity with regards to cleaning our soil, cleaning our air, cleaning our oceans, cleaning our rivers through its use, not through its demonization. As we become you know, and I think right now with this, this sequestration that is happening because of this coronavirus, we understand that, you know, when, when man interacts with the ecology of, of this planet, things can change. Right now, things are changing because we're not using these fossil fuels as much as we have in the last half century. The fact that there's less cars on the road, but the, the reality is if, if, we, if we start taking this time and we, we start looking at renewable products that are using less of these fossil fuels or none of these fossil fuels and that we're creating products that are built with a natural cycle instead of the synthetic cycle, that this is a time where we could actually look and see what those results would be if we use this plant to its full utility. And by embracing that and by embracing the information that continuously becomes exposed within the reading and the chapters in this book that will have new energy and new thoughts and new possibilities by those who are engaged and inspired by this book the way that people were in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s that created the opportunity for this change today. Right on. Bruce, did you want to elaborate on that at all? Yeah, I did want to add something onto this. There's a page in this book that's one of my favorites, page 42 in the paperback, I believe. And it asks the question, why not use hemp to reverse the greenhouse effect and save the world? Morris, Rick, can you imagine back in 1989, um, that's when he actually had the conversation, when when Jack had the conversation with the the top-ranking U.S. Department of Agriculture official who was responsible for helping to reverse the greenhouse effect, they called back then. And... It's a beautiful story about he goes in there and he, he shows this high-level executive in the government, or he asks him, what would you do? He says, well, we, what would be great is if we could somehow stop cutting down trees and we would stop using fossil fuels. I won't go through the whole thing, but then Jack brings up this whole idea, well, why don't, why don't we use a renewable plant material? And he goes, well, that would be great. And so Jack tells him, you know, it's something called hemp. Hemp, hemp. Huh. So he explains it all to him. He says, wow, that's perfect. That, that would be really great. We should really do that. And then he ponders on it for a little while and says, well, wait a second. Isn't hemp marijuana? And Jack says, yeah, of course it is. He says, well, are you aware, Mr. Hare, that marijuana is illegal? He says, of course. I've been, I've been working 40 hours a week for 17, 17 years <laughs> studying the plant. Yes, I know that. And he says, well, you can't do this then. And Jack says, why? He says, because it's illegal. <laughs> so I won't tell you the rest of the story, but it just his point was just because this mindset has been stuck in our government and then all the governments all around the world, that we can't do anything with hemp because this terrible thing called marijuana is going to destroy our children and blah, 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 blah. And you know, at the end of the story, he says, well, if you marijuana advocates can just figure out a way to grow this hemp that you have without all these intoxicating flower tops, then maybe we could do something. And I'm like, 
when you read this, you go like, does this guy not understand the difference between plants grown for fiber and seed versus plants grown for cannabinoids? Well, obviously he doesn't. It's just, it's a really interesting story. When you get your copy, check out page 42, because that was a real eye-opener to me. Just to add a point to what you said, it's really interesting that we have a plant and or plants on this planet, hemp and cannabis being pops among them that have the opportunity to produce a majority of all paper, fiber, fuel, plastics, medicine, cordage on this planet, including food. And this one plant has the ability to create homes, to create clothing, to create food, to create medicine, to create fuel, to create all of these things. And it's illegal. That is just mind-blowing to me. And then you start going into, at that point, you start looking at, are you a conspiracy theorist or not? Or do you believe you know, that people back in the 1930s recognized the fact that this plant was so detrimental to, their, to the future of their synthetic industry that they had to make a change and a choice then to make it illegal and to demonize it so it would not affect the profitability of these synthetic cycled products that were becoming the norm and use of, uh, in the United States in the mid-20s, 30s, and 40s? Or was it just greed? Did they know that it, was, that it could replace all of these things? Or was it just about protecting profits? And today we're, we're really saddled with the very, very same questions and crossroads. And that is, we know that if we embrace this plant for paper, fiber, and fuel, that we can eliminate so many uh, of the things that are just destroying the different aspects of this country, from the quality of our air to the quality of our water to the quality of our soil and our land, to the types of foods that we ingest. Even if they were the same foods, but if they're not, you know, created using all of these pesticides and herbicides and, and, and different things that are continuously changing the, the living environment of all humans, how do we re-embrace this idea that the natural cycle is what we're continuously drawn to and, and what the truth continuously points to? And that is, if we are to survive as a species, that this plant has to be used to its absolute full utility without reservation and without boundaries. And if we're able to do that, if we're able to get this truth back out to people now that, you know, governments around the world are starting to embrace the use of cannabis and hemp within their communities, whether it's Thailand, whether it's Europe, whether it's South America, this plant is being looked at on a global scale like it's never been done before. And yet we're still at the governmental level, being slowed down, suppressed, derailed, even as we know the economics of this are tremendous, that the control of this by these entities, whether it's large corporations or by countries that want to control it as a commodity, that greed somehow seems to get in its own way. The fate of humanity is still in the hands of so many people that are beyond our control and sometimes beyond our influence that we have to really double down on our own education and our own activism and our own abilities to stand up in our communities and to say no more. There's no longer a question. I mean, the answer is hemp can provide all these things. I mean, hemp literally provides fiber for nanotechnology for, for batteries, right? Longer lasting yep. batteries, like which we didn't have back in 1920, 1930, right? So this plant is integral to the earth and is integral to our system. I and mean, we have an endocannabinoid system that feeds off of the cannabinoids as receptors for cannabinoids from this plant. So 
there's no question that this plant is valuable. There's no question this plant should be embraced. The answer that your father found and that we found driving around the country is the systems are broken, right? And we're seeing it now with this pandemic. I mean, the systems are broken across the board. This book and, and, and this plant can really provide solutions to a lot of the things we're dealing with, right? From plastic issues to energy issues. I mean, 6% of our agrable land grown for hemp oil could solve all of our gas needs for our whole United States, 6%, right? That, that's just insane. So the results are there, the, the information is there. We just need to get it out. And so that's part of what this book is doing. And so Bruce, tell us a little bit, what's your involvement with this new edition? What, how did you help spark this, the latest edition of the Emperor Wears No Clothes? Before I do, let me just add one little note on that. I think what we've been going through over the last century as a society, human society, is that we basically believed in the lie that uh, cheap resources can be mined from beneath the soil. And I'm talking about everything from aluminum to petroleum, et cetera. And truly, that has been a, a cheap set of resources. And so that's why we have everything from plastic that's made from petroleum to our fuels that are made from petroleum, et cetera. And so now we're seeing as a society the effects of that with uh, with the climate crisis looming. And so it's already acknowledged by the IPCC that we have to quit doing that. We have to stop raping the earth and taking the resources from beneath the soil and do what Henry Ford and Jack Herrer said, and that was to grow the resources that we need from above the soil. So it may be a little more expensive at first to do that, but what we need to do is we need to make a shift and instead of subsidizing these uh, petroleum and mining companies to give us what we need to make whatever we, whatever we need, we need to be subsidizing the hemp companies instead. It's a matter of inevitability. Humanity doesn't have any choice if we want to live in the future and survive and thrive in the future. I'll give you just a little factoid. What industry actually consumes more fossil fuels? 50% more fossil fuels than the transportation industry. Anybody know? Agriculture. Um, no, they're even worse. But the one that's 50% worse than transportation is the industrial sector. The, the people that make all the things that, are, that you see all around you right now, they actually burn more fossil fuels, 50% more fossil fuels than the transportation sector. So what I'm talking about here is something that has a 50% bigger impact than say EVs, right? So if we start manufacturing everything we can from hemp and making everything we can from hemp and making our pharmaceuticals from hemp, because a lot of pharmaceuticals right now are made from chemicals that came from, came from petroleum. We are totally in this petroleum and mining type of environment. But anyway, I'll get to, to answer your question. My role here, Dan and the Duchess of Hemp, Patricia Ann Stewart, approached me about a year and a half ago I don't know, maybe because I'm, I'm come out of the computer industry and I'm comfortable with computers and asked me if I could help them with um, republishing the book, given that uh, what we really had to work with was paper copies. So I scanned the whole thing and, and using modern day technology, et cetera, and, and reducing the size of the photos, et cetera, so they could fit into the ebook, but then also putting them out onto the web. So if people wanted high res versions, Morris, if you take a look at it and you click on your ebook, your ebook on the images there, it'll bring you to a site and you can get a high res image of all that sort of stuff. So that took me about a year and then did the research to add the additional stories in there. And that took about another half a year. And it was an honor to do so, by the way. Thanks for jumping into the project, and the, you're probably one of the best people I could think of to be included in 
the revamping of this edition with your knowledge of the hemp fiber side of things and the climate side of things, which kind of leads us into this next part. When I first met you, you were the, the cannabis car guy, the hemp car guy, and just wanted to get an update with all of that. What's currently going on with Renew Autosports and the cannabis car? Well, we're just finishing the first customer car, and it's kind of kind of fun to do because every time we every time we uh, do an iteration from one body panel to another body panel, it's still kind of an experimental thing. So we've actually dropped the uh, the weight of the uh, the hemp and bioplastic composite by about thirty to thirty five percent, which is great. So we're getting we're definitely better than fiberglass for this type of an application. In, in volume, this type of material would actually be about the same price as fiberglass, but perform better. It's not quite as light as carbon fiber yet, but in volume, it should be four to five times less expensive. And carbon fiber is not only extremely expensive, but for every pound of carbon fiber that's manufactured, it consumes so much fossil fuels, right, that 48 pounds of CO2 are dumped into the atmosphere. Let that sink in for a second. For one pound of carbon fiber, you're dumping 48 pounds of CO2 into the atmosphere. It may be this wonderful material, but hemp can 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 replace it in many applications. And instead of dumping 48 pounds of CO2 into the atmosphere, it's called embodied carbon, by the way, is what the scientists like to call it. Instead of dumping that in, it can actually take up to 1.65 pounds of CO2 out of the atmosphere because hemp is a plant, it grows via photosynthesis, via a natural energy resource called the sun. And so if we use the, uh, the hemp seed to create biodiesel, I know, Rick, you've, you've played with that stuff, haven't you? Right? Yep. Yep. So if, if our tractors are running on, on hemp biodiesel, et cetera, we don't have a lot of CO2 associated with that because that would be a, a carbon neutral fuel. So we can actually... According to my calculations, if, if about 15 to 16 percent of everything humanity made today were made out of plant materials like hemp, it could be the number one way to mitigate climate crisis. And that's a big statement. I mean, we could be taking three, three gigatons of CO2 out of the atmosphere simply by making everything out of plant materials. And of course, right? Well, the plant to, material to use is, is hemp. It's most right, personal. We, we need to shift from a hydrocarbon society to a carbohydrate society. Isn't that the moving everything to yeah. all plant? Carbon from plant. Carbon from plant versus carbon from oil. Right. right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I saw, I met you and I saw your car, which is awesome. And you can go look at the cannabis car online, but I think it was the hemp harvest party, Morris, in 2016 Correct. in Denver. Yep. Which was super awesome. And then I know you, Bruce, you, that car went on Jay Leno and got some exposure there. But then you had some issues, as far as I'm aware, of some patent issues with some body design and some things there. Can you go into it for our audience? What happened? Sure. What, what, uh, you know, what yeah. the deal was with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tried to design what I thought would be the prettiest car in the world. You know, we all have these designs when we're kids. It's kind of, kind of goofy, you know. <laughs> But uh, in, in my semi-retirement, I thought, I should just design my own car. And so I took these cues from several different cars. And unfortunately, Ferrari thought it looked too much like one of their cars from the past. So they sent me a nasty gram. And I already had a design, a newer design, already on paper. And I'd already been planning on doing it. 
It turns out that that original design was very much inspired by uh, three or four different cars from the 1950s, race cars from the 1950s. And unfortunately, uh, those cars back then, they only went to, you know, went to about 150 miles per hour. And I was driving down, coming back from that show, I think I was driving back through Nebraska and they had closed half of the interstate. So there were semis going in one direction, you know, just feet away from me going in my little car, going in the other direction. We're both going 80 miles an hour. So we've got 160 mile per hour winds going underneath the car. And all of a sudden, I feel this lift going on. I'm going like, oh, I better change this design. <laughs> 160 mile per hour winds aren't going to cut it. And so I redesigned the front end of the car. So the new one looks, I think it actually looks a whole lot better, quite frankly. So that situation is, has been resolved. So, so uh, we can kind of wrap up on this part of it right here. What kind of opportunities for hemp on the fiber side domestically do you see that we might not be thinking about or haven't thought about up until this point, Bruce? Well, I hear there's some guy, some crazy guy in, guy in Colorado who's made uh, speaker cabinets and a, a guitar <laughs> out, of, out of hemp fiber. Yeah, that's um, bull that's that's a bunch of bullshit. That's fake news. That's real fake news. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I just that's a great example. And I'm, I'm speaking about about you, Morris, of course, for your audience. But beautiful, beautiful products that you've put out there, and uh, that's obviously just part of it. But the thing that I've been focused on for the last couple of years here is something that I call carbon negative fiber, and it's kind of a play on words from carbon fiber to replace carbon fiber and fiberglass, but not only those, but also aluminum and some some aspects of steel, et cetera. So the whole idea is this whole industrial sector, We it, it's an inevitable situation. It's just a matter of how fast it, it changes. The entire industrial sector has to change. The materials that, uh, that the industrial sector to make everything from your refrigerators to your cars, to your air conditioners, to your mirrors, it's everything around with your carpets, etc., needs to be made from carbon negative materials because that will draw down the CO2 out of the atmosphere as opposed to continuing to use these highly carbon positive materials. So I'm starting to get a little traction from some investors and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see some of the things that I have on, on the drawing board become a reality over the, this next year. I think there's going to be tremendous opportunities for these big industrial companies that have been reliant on fossil fuel ingredients and materials to make a shift to plant-based materials, the bio economy yeah, that people have been talking about for quite some time now. Yeah, it's already it's already pretty popular in, in Europe and here in the U.S. We're kind of a little bit behind, but it's like I say, it's inevitable. We don't have any choice. We cannot get rid of fossil fuels unless we switch to a carbon negative materials. Just impossible. Humanity cannot survive on the current path. But it is going to be an incremental thing initially, as we talked to Paul Benham from the plastic company and where they're at at this point in time, just re replacing 20 to 30% of petroleum-based plastics. At least it's a start. It's getting the foot in the door, and then we can get up to 50%, 70%, and continue to make the strive towards 100% full biodegradable bioplastics. And on that note, we can end with this. To a future in which natural things of Earth are not outlawed so that they may have a future. A nice quote from the man himself, Mr. Jack Hare. Amen. Thank Thanks, everyone. Take care, guys. Bye -bye. 
Guitars made from hemp. Guitar cabinets made from hemp. Amplifiers made from hemp. Speaker cones made from hemp. Guitar straps made from hemp. Are you ready to take your entire guitar rig to 11? Check out SilverMountainHemp.com and prepare yourself for the sound of the future. SilverMountainHemp.com It's always great to talk to Bruce and to Dan. It's been a while since I've got to see Bruce in person. I've got to see Dan quite a bit over the last year or so, but having both those guys on talking about the reissue of the Jack book and the digital version, and now that you can go into the digital version and hyperlink to all kinds of source material, that's a pretty cool feature. And, it, and it's absolutely necessary because when the 11th edition was out, right, or the 12th edition was published in November of 2010, a lot has happened since then. You get the 14 Farm Bill, the 2018 Farm Bill, which made hemp cannabis legal, 0.3% THC on a dry weight basis. So, I mean, we've had a lot of progress, and it's good to have the book reflect that progress and have the digital hyperlinks available as well. So great talk with Bruce, great talk with Dan. I mean, we were there at Dan's inaugural golf uh, fundraiser, which was last year, raising money for the Hara Foundation, which is an ongoing concern. So very, very excited. Thank you very much, Bruce and Dan, for taking the time to speak with us and share the newest Emperor Wears No Clothes edition, the, the 13th edition. 14th. 14th edition. 13, 14. And if you don't have a copy of The Emperor Wears No Clothes, I encourage you to go to Amazon and you can buy the hard copy, physical book copy, so you've got it there to hold on to and touch and feel and look through all the pages. And you can get that. It's like 35 bucks, but it's well worth it. I just got my copy in the mail. And then you can get the digital version. It's $9.99. You can put it on your Kindle. You can put it on your phone and scroll right through it. It's got links all over it. It's a super cool interactive book. So everybody that's in the hemp and cannabis space really should own this book. And here's the deal. I'm a big fan of books, like the actual physically having a book, like getting in the airport, going on a, on a flight. You can't turn your Kindle on. You can't turn this on for this for the takeoff landing. You can always have a book available. And I love books. I read tons of books every year. This is one that has been very impactful. The latest edition as a book is very impactful. So get it, own it, share it, all of that. Well, let's move on to the passport part of the show. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your guests that you brought on for this episode? Yeah, we got Kirk Allen coming up from Amberstock, who is helping with the COVID issues and the hemp mask by making a mask out of hemp, a hemp fiber mask. So we're getting into that, where the production, which is in Nepal, actually, Mo, you and I were there for the Asian Hemp Summit last year, right in Kathmandu, which is where they're producing these masks, with actually hemp paper as filters. So they're using the filter, right, a replaceable filter to help with the mitigation of COVID and other viruses from a mass standpoint. So we'll get into it with, uh, with Kirk and help you guys understand how hemp is helping mitigate the COVID issue. Hey, you got Rick Trojan here with Let's Talk Hemp in the 422. Delighted to be talking with Kirk Allen from Amberstock, um, who is doing something specifically to battle this COVID crisis. So, Kirk, welcome to the 422. Thank you for having me, Rick. It's an absolute honor. Tell us a little bit about Amberstock, uh, how, how you guys came up with the name and when you founded it in 2017, and, and uh, then we'll get into what you guys are doing specific to uh, COVID. Sure. So, back in 2015, 2016, I had a massive interest about hemp. 
when I joined the university competition in order to solve uh, sustainable housing. Uh, a partner of mine in that competition told me, you know, Kirk, have you ever heard of hemp before? And I said, no. And he told me, like, oh, it's the cousin of wheat. And he shows me a video of YouTube uh, with somebody mixing some hemp shivs, water, and limestone. Uh, with three basic ingredients, he come up with a material that is uh, almost as strong as concrete, very light, carbon negative, and it was just blew me away. I started looking into hemp further thinking like, oh, maybe there's other things you can make from it. And I got hooked up and I said, maybe, you know, I gathered a few of my friends in the living room with KFC and chocolate cake and said, let's let's do something on hemp. Let's start a business. We started off with three names. We came up with three names. The first name we came up with is Hempstock. But we didn't want to focus on hemp on its own. Uh, the second name we came up with is Goldstock. But it sounded like a bank. And we didn't want to sound like we were only making the business just to make money. And the final one was Amberstock. And they came up with a funny story, which was, if you remember, if you remember, Rick, the uh, first film of Jurassic Park, you know, yeah. when the uh, when the scientists took out this mosquito inside this amber, and, yeah, and they, what scientists did, yeah, yeah, scientists sort of extracted the DNA from that mosquito and turned that into hundreds and thousands of different dinosaurs. So I wanted to do the same thing with my team with hemp. So I want to take the best bits of hemp and turn it into hundreds and thousands of different products. Same thing with other sustainable or million-year-old crops out there, really to you know, signify that uh, you know, amber really represented impacts and the stock represented sustainability and growth. So amber stock really stands for impact, sustainability, and growth. I love it. I love it. I think it's great. What I also love is you are doing something specific for this COVID. Not only are you giving 10% of your profits to fight against COVID, you're giving masks and sanitizers and food and such, but you also have created a product that is very helpful and people are in high demand actually here in the States, I think, and globally, a hemp and cotton face mask. So tell us about that and where the manufacturing's happened and how you got into getting that creative. Well, the funny story really was, you know, about four weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, my mom called me up on a Saturday morning saying that, like, Kirk, we're, you know, we're, it's a big pandemic here. Everything's closed down. We're running out of, you know, we had to buy, like, six months' worth of food, and they're running out of face masks and uh, sanitizers and all that stuff. And then, you know, back in the West, we're all joking about it. just like, oh, it's just a common cold when we take this, this virus serious. And the death rate is like less than 0.2 percent back then. It was literally so we were taking it seriously. But I said to my mom, like you know, that they really needed some face mask, and I said, you know what, maybe uh, I can source new materials, and maybe I can make it from them. So the more I researched into the actual face mask, I found out that a lot of these face masks today are actually made from polypropylene which is the same material we use for plastic bottles or you know, plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow. You know, so, now think about this. Here's a scary thought. You know, imagine a year from now, you think about all these billions and billions and trillions of face masks you know, that's made from plastic that's not going to biodegrade. And you're going to see that all the in these landfills, they're going to start polluting in our oceans, which we have now seen in Hong Kong. You know, it's going to, you know, pile up in our lands and we're going to create almost a brand new problem a couple of months down the line. 
that we're doing a lot of good now to protect ourselves. So I said, why not make something that you can protect yourself, but also make it at least environmentally friendly. So, you know, having thought about some ideas and designs uh, with my, my team members, uh, we had made some connections and found a manufacturer in Nepal that can produce it for us. So we've created a 40% hemp fabric mixed with 60% organic cotton. And we, the innovation behind that is actually the hemp paper as the filter. Because a lot of the times people use just the fabric on its own to cover the, the mask. But, you know, it's not really enough because the micro droplets, when somebody, let's say, sneezes, speaks to you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, or, or sends anything. Mm-hmm. It just stays into the air and, you know, you could breathe it in. But the holes between the fabrics is too large. So we're saying maybe there's an extra, we need an extra layer. And that's where the hemp paper was second layer of that. So now we're coming up with uh, three versions. So the first version we're coming up with is as an optional for uh, fabric-based masks. The second one is a, a standard one where you have fabric and the hemp paper. And the third one we're trying to make is a, a more like a, a reusable mask, so where you can just wash it and reuse it again. So that's the innovation we've been working on the last three weeks. Um, had a really good response. Had a very good response from people globally. Yeah, no, I think it's a great product, and I think what's 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 amazing is that hemp filter is made with paper, right? And does the hemp paper? Does it care? Does it have the same antimicrobial properties that the hemp textiles inherently have, or no? No, it's it's actually the paper innovation is actually that it's not made from the actual body fiber of the hemp plants, but what they've used was the root hemp roots as the manufacturing for the paper. Yeah. Instead of so, the, instead of using the herd, they use the roots, and they yeah, pull the root. Yeah. 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 This is very clever from what I've seen, and it's created a type of paper that's almost between a tissue and a piece of paper. So you can still breathe it, but at the same time, you can still, it's breathable, but at the same time, it's, it's uh, thick. So that's what makes it interesting, and there's no chemicals involved with it. It's all natural process. It's just water and nothing more. So we're looking into, you know, more testings for it, but that's where we're at. There's a very good chance that this could be a, a good replacement for the, you know the filters that we got today. Now, is that being done in Nepal as well? This the paper manufacturing? Yep. Yeah. So the manufacturer that we partnered up with has had an experience for over 15 years in this industry. You know, uh, they've been they've been doing it as a, a local thing, as a traditional thing, uh, for many years, from clothes to like one of my, uh, my, my my manufacturer just sent me a message today showcasing me their hemp farm and the way that they were weaving things and stuff like that. Like just the old ways, not like the, you know, like the big industrial stuff that you've got there in the U.S. It's sure. a lot more traditional, you know, old school manufacturing. And that's what, that's what they've done. And they've done amazingly well in a very short period of time to help us produce some uh, basic samples and that you just get stuff out there. Yeah, that's what we need. Like you know, come up with an idea, have a production line ready, and then after that, try to ship it. So that's uh, what we did. And uh, you know, it starts with that. Really, it starts with that. 
Yes, absolutely. And where where in Nepal are these being manufactured? What part of this country? Uh, Kathmandu. Kathmandu. Okay, Kathmandu. We, we actually, Morris and, and I were out there actually last uh, February for the Hemp yeah. Today uh, Asian Hemp Summit. So yeah. there, and hiked around the Himalayas, and the air amazing, amazing up there. Very, very good. So um, I was supposed to be there in the event. Unfortunately, I had. I was busy trying to launch my proteins, like I said, in the February at the same time. I would have gone there. Uh, I would have loved to come uh, meet you there. It was an opportunity missed. But let's hope that this virus go, you know, goes blows over and then you know, we'll go back to normal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll be there next year, for sure. Well, uh, well, Kirk, I appreciate uh, you taking some time to explain what you got going on. I appreciate you using hemp in the fight uh, against the spread of COVID and love what you're doing there at Amberstock. So I appreciate your time and uh, keep it up. I want to add one more thing, Rick. One thing I've learned from the face mask is that it's not about what it is, but it what it represents. So what our clients have found that, you know, people who let's say have CBD, for example, they can use that as a, as a, almost like an upsell to their products. So let's say if you buy like a CBD bottle, then you can give a face mask away. It's like a small gesture to showcase that, you know, you care, you know, because it's going to be in, there's going to be a lack of it in the next few weeks as you'll, you know, in the US you'll, you'll see. Because we experienced that here in the UK. And unfortunately, before we could even make this stuff or produce this stuff, it's already been, you know, it's at the peak of it and too many people already passed away. So, you know, I, I was saying to, you know, the industry, like, that's why I came up with the hashtag Hemp Helps campaign, you know, to showcase what hemp can do during this pandemic, you know, to showcase that, like, you know, even if you're a company, you can still make money, but at the same time, still do good. And at the same time, still produce a product that is biodegradable, sustainably sourced, you know, from the holy land, so from as people say, potentially where hemp came from, like the motherland. <laughs> so. Yeah, we love it. I, I love it. Again, it's amberstock.com and the hashtag is hashtag hemp helps. So appreciate it. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you. All of us from the WAFPA family of brands in the hemp road trip would like to send positive energy to our fellow humans and many other inhabitants of Earth as we start the shift to a heightened consciousness and caring for the planet and each other better than we have in the past. Man, that was a great episode with, uh, with Kirk telling us about what's going on with hemp masks and COVID remediation and all that sort of stuff. Very, very exciting stuff, man. What do you think? Yeah, very interesting. You know, the mask situation, we could be wearing masks for the next year. I go to the grocery store now and most people have masks and I actually started wearing a scarf, a hemp scarf. I almost remind myself of you. Well, you should because hemp scarves are fantastic. That's my mask is a hemp scarf from Vital Hemp, actually, along with aesthetically pleasing, right? They're fashionably fantastic. They also serve practically as covering your face and mouth from projecting spit and mucus and other things. So hemp is not only fashionable and beautiful, but also practical and reasonable for a COVID pandemic. But not everything in this pandemic is reasonable, of course. You've recently had some stuff that I think we should name into a segment called, Are You Shitting Me? The craziness that's happening around 
hemp, not necessarily with COVID, but this is COVID in particular, but just in general about hemp and cannabis and the misunderstanding of this agricultural crop. So tell us a little bit about, are you shitting me that's going on right now? Yeah. So I actually just got a message today from a good buddy of mine who's been in radio for 40 years and he's got a program on public radio that we bought advertising into for NOCO Hemp Expo and kind of underwrote his program. And we were also going to be advertising on iHeartMedia and iHeartMedia has hundreds and hundreds of stations throughout the country from rock stations to pop stations to country stations. They're the biggest radio company that's out there. And those guys have been doing advertising for hemp companies and CBD companies, particularly the Fox radio station in Denver has been doing advertisements for CB distillery and new leaf naturals. And some of these public stations and as smaller stations have wanted to get clarification on advertising for hemp and CBD companies. And the president of the Colorado Broadcasters Association sent out this message. And I'm going to read it because when I got this today, it just pissed me off. <laughs> so here's the message. Nothing has changed regarding hemp or CBD. We were anxious to see wording that was working through the state capital in regard to hemp. Now that USDA is reclassifying it at a federal level, However, we're still waiting for the state and federal USDA departments to align on how they will classify hemp. We think there will be an opening to accept the advertising without repercussion. Thus far, we've not seen anything that addresses advertising and want to keep it that way. But everything stopped when the state shut down, so it's still in the works, which his grammar is not very good. But let me continue on here. CBD falls into a similar category where it's being addressed at the federal level. However, the CBD must be produced from hemp and not THC. It's this small detail that runs a risk for stations. It's nearly impossible for a broadcaster to confirm the source of CBD products. All we can do is take the word of the retailer, but that won't stand up if the FCC investigates and finds otherwise, or the USDA or FDA investigates the source of the CBD, finds it is based from a THC plant, and then penalizes all partners that help to market what the federal government considers a controlled narcotic. Now, that whole statement is so riddled full of bullshit, it makes me want to fucking puke. That's what I have to say about it. And the beauty is, is as I was listening to it, I was taking notes on, on, the, on the erroneous comments, and it just got overwhelming. So the reality is, here's the reality. iHeartRadio, iHeartMedia was advertising and was accepting advertisements for CBD prior to today, Correct. Correct. They know it's federally legal. Right? I mean, Correct. And it's federally USDA legal based on the 2018 Farm Bill. So their, their diatribe is not based in law or reality, right, at all. And this is the same shit, to be honest, we dealt with social media, right? Hemp, let's be clear, hemp, cannabis, cannabis sativa L is federally legal. It is not a Schedule One narcotic drug if it has 0%. 0.3% THC or less on a dry weight basis, 
right? The reality is, in, re in reality, the Schaefer Commission, Nixon's Commission, in the 1969, found that there was no ill effects of, of cannabis, and it was not, it had medical purposes, and it actually was beneficial. Regardless, this iHeartMedia, right, is standing on a position that is untenable, right? They cannot support the position that hemp is illegal because it's not illegal. The 2018 Farm Bill made it legal in every single state and U.S. territory. So this plant and the byproducts in this plant, right, fiber, cannabinoid, CBD, and THC in the limited size, are all legal. So they are misguided, misinformed. The FDA, also other government organizations are interfering with this analysis, but the 2018 Farm Bill made it explicitly clear, and Congress made it explicitly clear, cannabis sativa L, 0.3% THC or less, is legal. So then should be the resulting products from that. And as a result, the ability to market and promote those products should also be legal. And it is also legal. Unfortunately, these guys have taken a stance that is not congruent with the current situation in the law. And you found out about this today. Not only that, just recently, and Bob Hoban put this out in his Bob's Voice newsletter, that the DEA just descheduled Epidilex. So that's not even scheduled anymore. And the CBD and Epidilex doesn't come from industrial hemp. It comes from marijuana. Thus, Correct. CBD from marijuana is not a controlled substance, just like we've been saying all along, because CBD is CBD, whether it comes from hemp or marijuana or tree bark. It's, it's the same molecule because it's CBD. It's not a scheduled substance. It never has been. And so anybody saying that it's a controlled narcotic is just off their gourd. Well, let's clarify that a little bit, actually. This, this is a bigger deal, I think, than we're even mentioning. So epidemics descheduling, right? They put it from Schedule 5 to not even scheduled at all. I mean, it has valid medical effect and it is not addictive. That's required to not be on the schedule. CBD, cannabidiol, from what they term as marijuana, from a plant that is, that is higher than 0.3% THC, right? CBD from that plant, from that source, is no longer a scheduled drug. That's Correct. a big deal. Meaning, meaning across the board, CBD from a non-scheduled plant, right, which is hemp, right, shouldn't even be considered a drug, but they're trying to consider that a drug, right? It's not congruent with each other. So they're saying on one hand, this plant, this marijuana plant is a schedule one drug, but it's still cannabis. It's still cannabis, but it's over 0.3% THC. That plant produces a compound that's used in epidiolex, which is actually they is descheduled, not even on the schedule one, two, three, four, or five of the U.S. schedule of drugs. But they're trying to say that CBD from hemp could be potentially not safe. It's just not those two statements cannot coexist simultaneously. So the government is talking about the both sides of their mouth or ass, however you want to look at it. Yeah, it doesn't make some any sense. things never change. They just stay right. It's it just, even in the pandemic, we're still having government speaking out of both holes of their holes. Yeah. And I think we just got to leave it at that. Folks, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We just don't know how long the tunnel is, but eventually we're going to get to the light. Well, I would say actually, here's the light, Mo. I think the light is that cannabis and cannabis extracts are healthy. They are good for you. They are natural. They've been used for thousands of years, right, in humanity. 
And so the, the light that needs to be seen in the tunnel is the light that needs to be seen by our government and our regulators because they're not seeing the light of what's right in front of them right now and what's been in front of them for hundreds of years. So I'm with you. I think we get it, right? Our group gets it. Our audience gets it. I think it's helpful for the government to start understanding that descheduling epidialects should make sense to deschedule all of cannabis because the reality is it is not addictive medically across the board and it also is beneficial from a health standpoint minimum minimum so good luck with the government we're going to keep at it we're going to keep doing what we do which is educating people and helping them get engaged uh in the meantime with this pandemic i think we have an opportunity to help educate our government on a unique level which we're doing yeah and we're going to help educate the colorado broadcasters association and if anybody else wants to help educate them Definitely check out the the notes with this episode and we'll probably have a contact link for them. So if you wanted to reach out and let them know your opinion, you're more than welcome to do so. Write them directly and tell them how absurd that they're being because this, this is absolutely absurd. So let's get after it. We have time on our hands and let's utilize that for good. So we'll put that in the link in the description, but write these guys and let them know what's going on. Amen, brother. All right, man. Well, it's been it's been a, a great uh, episode. I, I like that we're now on for the Let's Talk Hemp side. We're now on a regular schedule on spreading good education across the board. And I appreciate all you listeners for chiming in and, and helping us out. Please give us your feedback, subscribe, and uh, let us know what you want to hear. Take care, everybody. Happy Earth Day. The best way you can support the show is to share this with your family, friends, and colleagues. Don't miss the opportunity to learn more about this podcast at letstalkhemp.com. And if you enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe and leave us an iTunes review. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.